You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples plant churches and renew the cities. If you want to hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Now, let us hear the word of the Lord from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witness, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm not used to those short passages. I was about ready to keep going. So... Uh, let me, uh, let, let me say a word of prayer. Actually, let me say this first. I can tell that you guys have all gotten an extra hour of sleep. Okay. <laughs> that was fun. Worship was fun. It was fun to worship and hear a bunch of voices behind you. Let's do that again next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your provision. We thank you that you have given us your word, that, you would not, that we would not be left guessing what the God who made the heavens and the earth is like. And so we come to your word this morning eager to know the God who, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who, who made this earth in such a way that, that every detail is precisely appointed. We want to know a God who does that. And Lord, would you work now as, as you are, are, have created, you are creating for yourself a bride. You're, you've assembled her, you are assembling her, and you are refining her with the water of the word. I pray this morning, Lord, that your word would wash over us. The psalmist says that, that the Lord sent out his word and it was sent out that it might heal. I pray, Lord, this morning that there would be healing in our hearts, that you would not only heal us, but equip us to set out on every good work that you have prepared before we were even saved. So this morning, Lord, please help us. Give me strength. Give me wisdom. Give me the right words to say. Give me a heart full of affection for you and your church, Lord, that we might be blessed by it and that the church might walk in faithfulness to honor you all of the days of our lives. We pray this in your mighty name. For the last few weeks, you know that we've been going through a sermon series called Cultivate. Every once in a while, we stop doing our normal thing, which is going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through entire books of the Bible. We had been going through the book of John for a number of, of months at this point, and we paused for this ser sermon series called Cultivate. It's, it's focused on the idea of discipleship, and really the aim of this entire sermon series is to help reinvigorate our discipleship culture here at Sacred City Church. And today we've been, well, going through the past few weeks, we've been, each sermon series is sort of, or sermon is, is like a building block that we're building on top of each other. And what we're doing today is we're looking at what it entails for us to cultivate others, to, to think like disciple makers. We saw earlier in, in the beginning of the series that Jesus has commanded his people to go throughout the world and make disciples. We saw the pattern of discipleship, of, of dying to live. So we put the, the old self, the, the flesh to death so that the spirit of the new man might come alive. We see how di spiritual disciplines play a role in fostering our own growth and how community is the context for discipleship. And so today we're taking a look at what do we contribute? What do we bring to the table? What do we bring to community? And that is the intentionality of thinking like disciple makers, that we not only want to take responsibility for our own discipleship, but we want to take responsibility for others' discipleship as well to help other people grow. 
And so one of the things that we must realize that in discipleship, part of your own discipleship is helping other people grow. That's part. A lot of times we look at my discipleship as thinking of just about me and what I need to do to walk more faithfully with Jesus. But this is a part of that. To walk faithfully with Jesus means that you actually are helping other people grow as disciples. Now, we imitate Christ. That is the life of a Christian is we, we become imitators of Christ. We want our lives to be modeled and follow the pattern that Christ has left for us. And one of the things that we see through Jesus' life and ministry is him doing this disciple-making with others. He called to himself 12 men, 12 young, squirrely, immature men, and spent three years with them, discipling them, training, instructing them what it looks like to be Christians, and then we see the same thing happen with uh, one, of, one of the most prominent figures in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. Um, God, Jesus showed up to him after he had been resurrected and ascended to heaven, and he called Paul to himself. In fact, this is crazy that Paul was on a mission to go kill Christians, and then Jesus shows up and turns Paul into a Christian and says, by the way, I'm going to deploy you to go make more Christians. So it's a real 180 there in Paul's life. And we see Paul demonstrate this disciple-making pattern throughout his entire ministry. In fact, we can go through uh, the New Testament, we can go through the book of Acts, we can go through all of the epistles and see that the apostles also, Paul is responsible for a church planting movement that spread throughout the world. So we see the church under the influence, God using a man like the Apostle Paul to take the gospel message out wide and moving the church, moving the gospel throughout the whole world. Not only do we see that happening, but in order for that to happen, in order for the gospel to go out, in order for churches to be planted, that, that can only happen if men are raised up, they're trained, discipled, trained uh, to, to go out and help make new disciples. And so we see this wide growth, we see this deep growth taking place in Paul's ministry, which brings us to guys like Titus and Timothy, two guys who the pastoral epistles are named after. In fact, if you go to your Bibles, the, where we're at today, we're in 2 Timothy. So Paul wrote two letters to young Timothy and one letter to Titus, these young aspiring pastors that they would continue in the tradition that Paul handed to them, which is why today we are hunkering down in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We've seen that Paul has discipled Timothy. If you look at verse one, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. So what Paul is saying here, Timothy, I, I've, I've entrusted something to you. I've, I've given you, I've trained you. I've shared the gospel with you. I've taught you how to live according to the way of Christ. And, and he's done this, not, not in isolation, not on this one-on-one -on -one discipleship, but in the context of many witnesses. So that, that brings us back to the context of discipleship is community. Paul says, I've discipled you, Timothy, and now you, Timothy, are to go and entrust what I have given to you unto the next next batch of faithful men who will be able to teach these same things. So right here in this passage, what we see is this multiplication mindset. We see this, this handing down of the tradition, the handing down of, of what Paul had received, what we professed faith in this morning, what we received of first importance, the gospel of Christ. 
He passed to Timothy. Now Timothy is supposed to pass it on to other faithful men, and those faithful men are to then go on and train and teach others. We see four generations in the Apostle Paul's mind in this moment. Paul, Timothy, Timothy's guys he's discipling, the guys that will eventually be trained by those guys. And so there's this natural uh, sort of this domino effect, a generational domino effect that's intended to happen with discipleship. And one of the things that, that just by saying this, that we see that the Apostle Paul's fruitfulness, the Apostle Paul's legacy is linked to Timothy's ability to follow in his footsteps. Paul's fruitfulness is linked to Timothy's faithfulness, his ability to pass on what he himself has learned. Now, when, when we break this down, it, this, this probably makes sense in like pastoral, a pastoral setting, right? Obviously, Paul is, is a pastor who's talking to another young pastor who's then hoping to raise up other pastors. And so we say, we might look at this and say, well, that's only for pastors, like this, this sort of uh, domino effect. But, but ordinary, everyday Christians, we might think this doesn't apply to me, and, and we'll just leave that stuff to the pros, now, while Paul does primarily have pastoral training in mind here, it is a pastoral epistle. It is not exclusively applied to just pastors. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul here tells the church in Ephesus that pastors, teachers, uh, evangelists, prophets are, are given to the church to equip the saints, and that is your everyday, ordinary Christian. That's you, folks that they would equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, what is the work of the ministry? The work of the ministry is making disciples. And so this, is, this trajectory, this pattern is not just meant for the pastorate, it's meant for everyone, each one teach one, that every Christian has this responsibility to take what I've entrusted and then pass it on to someone else. And this is where we get the idea of cultivating others. Part of my discipleship, part of my growth journey in, in the gospel is to help cultivate faithfulness in other people. Now, this is, a, this is a big undertaking because following Jesus affects every area of life. There is so much that could be said about helping disciple other people, all of the different avenues that we need to keep our eyes on and, and help them grow in and gain understanding, all these things. And so the reality is it is impossible for me to give you a comprehensive how to cultivate others in 45 minutes. Just not gonna happen. But what I do wanna do this morning is highlight three essential elements of discipling others that we see the Apostle Paul lay out here in 2 Timothy chapter two. So, so would you open up your Bible with me, keep track, and I wanna point out the first essential element of discipling others, of cultivating others, and that is relationship. Relationship. Relationship is an essential piece, an essential element of cultivating others. And we saw this, hopefully, if you remember it last week, cultivated in community, you see that relational nature there. It's, it's sort of a, it's a repetition here. While you can learn a lot from books, while you can listen to podcasts all day long, and there's all kinds of great information out there, discipleship is primarily relational work. It happens in the context of relationship. Because what we are doing in discipleship is it's ultimately learning how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. This is why the, the great commandment and the second great commandment to love God and to love others, it's relational. 
You cannot follow Jesus without leaning into the relational aspects of the Christian life. Now, one of the things that this passage does, it shows us the caliber of the relationship that the Apostle Paul and Timothy have together. At the very opening here, he says, you then my child. Now, we talked about this last week, uh, about being family. Like to be part of a church is not just to be part of an organization, but to be part of a family, part of the family of God. And we see this really play out in the Apostle Paul and Timothy's life. These guys met back in Acts chapter 16. And through, since they had met, they had spent a lot of time together doing ministry. Paul had brought the, uh, Timothy under his wing. He was teaching him what it looks like to be a faithful man of God. And as he understood that, he was raised up to become a pastor. And in this, this context of doing ministry together, they have a very close-knit relationship together. Now, what's interesting to me is, unfortunately, many Christians, when you think of the Apostle Paul, you think of this like mean, angry, smug, sort of cold and rigid guy. Like this, this guy that comes in ready and just like ready to drop the gospel bombs, right? Da, 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 da. I'm going to tell, tell you what's up and you got to listen. And I think that's a complete mischaracterization of the Apostle Paul. Sure, he says hard things. And if you look where the Apostle Paul says hard things, he always does it with a heart that's full of affection for those people. And we see this play out even, even in when Paul is doing uh, ministry amongst the Thessalonians. Uh, if I can find it here, I gotta jump over. In 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, this is what he says to the church here. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. The Apostle Paul is not this cold, rigid, legalistic kind of guy. He's an affectionate guy. He, he loves people. And, and, and this comes from, this, this, this is a derivative of the love that he has received from Christ because the love of Christ compels him. Now he loves the people that he is pastoring. Now Calvin, uh, John Calvin speculates that it's, it's the Apostle Paul's deep pastorate affection for the people that made his influence so profound. Not, not only was Paul brilliant, just a brilliant mind, but he was an affectionate guy. He, he loved people truly. And so he says this. He says, through Christian affection, doctrine may more effectually gain admission into the heart. Do you, do you see what he's saying here? Because Paul loved the people, it's his doctrine that was able to be transported deep into the recesses of their heart. In other words, his doctrine was brought deep into the heart because of his love for the people. And it's his doctrine, actually, that drives his affection. Because Christ has loved him, he now loves others. Now, if, if we are going to go about making disciples of cultivating others the way the Apostle Paul cultivated others around him, we must do so with affectionate hearts. We, we must love the people that God has placed around us. So, so one of the things that, that this rules out is discipleship as, as being a way to disciple the annoyance out of people. Like, 
if you're living in community with people, there are gonna be things that you get annoyed with. There's gonna be things that you get frustrated with. There's gonna be things that wear you down. Discipleship is not driven by your own desire for comfort or to not be annoyed any longer, not because you're irritated and you just want somebody to stop it. Discipleship is driven by love, by deep Christian affection. And this, this really gets expressed in brotherly and sisterly love, that, that we are part of God's family, and so we love each other as such. It's God's love for us that compels us to love this way. It, it's a radical love. Now, in college, God, God gave me a relationship like this with a guy named Jeff Mickey. I was a young guy. Um, I, I had just... Really, I'd been a Christian for all my life, but I had just really started taking my discipleship seriously. I had gotten a hunger to learn. I was gobbling up books. I wanted to grow. I wanted, I wanted to be a true worshiper. And God put this guy named Jeff Mickey in my life, and through two years of, of college ministry and just being around him and his family, he intentionally discipled me. He, take he took time out of his busy life. He had his own family. He had his own work. He taught me how to read the Bible. He taught me how to study the Bible. He taught me how to teach others how to read and to study the Bible. He, he let me into his life in such a way that I could see what his marriage was like. I could see the way that he was discipling his kids. He gave me like a front row seat. That was such a gift. And in those two years, I really, for the first time in my life, like in the context of community, felt like family. I felt loved, I felt cared for, I felt the affection. It's like the, Paul's affection for Timothy. I felt something like that in our relationship. And in those two years, God used that relationship to change the trajectory of my life. And one thing that we often underestimate, like we just, we often underestimate what God can do in a short amount of time. In a short amount of time of real intentional discipleship, Jeff Mickey changed my life. It's not just him, but God used Jeff Mickey to change my life. Now, you might have had someone in your life like that, somebody who, who took you under their wing, somebody who taught you how to read the Bible, taught you what it looks like to live like a godly man or a godly woman. And, and if you have received a relationship like that, you ought to thank God for them. You gotta praise him for, for giving you such a gift. And now, honor them. Honor that person that God has put in your life by replicating their investment, just like Timothy did to Paul. See, Timothy saw that Paul invested in him. He spilled his life out for him. He, he wanted to, to invest as much as he could so then Timothy could carry on, and Timothy did. Timothy found those faithful men who could go on then to teach others. And so we ought to replicate. We honor them by replicating their investment. So you might need to take an inventory right now. If, if the way that you honor their legacy, if, if you way that you, you carry on in this pattern of discipleship is to then go on and disciple other peoples, we need to ask, are you intentionally discipling someone right now? Is there somebody like, yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm spending time with them. I'm teaching them. I'm, I'm opening up my life to them. Who is that person? You, you should be able to at least, if you're a Christian, at least one person. One person that you're intentionally discipling. Somebody that you're sharing your life with. 
Somebody from your missional community, somebody from Fight Club, somebody at work, one of your friends. There should be one person, at least, that you're like, yeah, I, I, I'm investing. I'm, I'm taking what was been entrusted with me and passing it on to them. And then the next question needs to be, am I loving that person with true Christian affection? Is it the love of Christ that drives me to love them in such a way? Is, is it something that, that like my heart for them is, is so heavy in a, a good way that I just want to contribute to their flourishing? Now, as we identify those that we are discipling, people who, who God has put in our life to help cultivate, we need to realize that Relationship, it's not just simply about having a relationship. It's not just liking this person or having warm feelings or nice regards towards this person. Discipleship is more than friendship. It's more than just getting along. It's more than a hangout. Discipleship has an agenda. The, the goal of discipleship is to, to produce flourishing, to, to cultivate Christ-likeness. It is to build one another up, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. It says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, so that it builds itself up in love. The body builds itself up in love. So it's going somewhere. It's, it's not just a love that stops. It moves us somewhere. It's building one another up in love. And this happens not just by love, but as it says here, by speaking truth in love. By speaking truth in love. There is this natural, or there is a teaching and instructive element of discipleship. This is what the Apostle Paul says, what he's getting at in, in verse uh, two of, he says, um, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the second element of discipleship. There is, there is an, an element of, of instruction, of teaching, of, of learning. We are to take what we've received and entrust it to others. Now you should say, entrust what? What are you talking about? Entrust what? Well, if you back up in this, this letter that Paul wrote Timothy, there's two things that, that the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy that he's been entrusted with. Number one, it's the testimony. In, in chapter one, verse eight, he says, you, you've been entrusted with the testimony. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Now, the testimony, what's he talking about there is it's the gospel message. It's the message of salvation for those who believe in Christ Jesus, the Lord. The Greek word of, of, of testimony, of proclamation is kerygma. It is gospel proclamation. It is, it is the announcement of good news that has come into the world because of what God has done through Christ. And so what the apostle Paul says again uh, to, to the church in Colossae, if I can find my spot here, there's a lot of bouncing around today. Not there, not there. These bookmarks are supposed to help. The way that he frames it up in, in Colossians 3, he talks about the word of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the word of Christ 
the proclamation of Christ, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Part of discipleship is, is, is a ministry of proclamation, of proclaiming the gospel message, of speaking that truth into people's lives, to recount the work that God has done on our behalf. So there's the proclamation. The second thing that Paul entrusted to Timothy is what he calls in, in 2 Timothy 1.13, the pattern of sound doctrine. The pattern of sound doctrine. Now this, this is what uh, in Greek is called the, or the didache, excuse me, the didache. And what the didache is, is, is basically theology applied. It's the instruction of if you really have been made a new creation in Christ Jesus, here's what it looks like to live like a new creation. After receiving God's grace, here's the, the kind of life that God's grace now, grace now shapes and forms the Christian lifestyle, the conduct of a Christian. And this applies to every area of life. If Christ is Lord of all, it means that all areas of life come under his lordship. So then we need to learn what it means to parent like Christians. To, to manage finances like Christians, to serve, to work, to do community together as Christians, to, to understand the world and sexuality and things of that nature. How do we make sense of things? How do we live in this world? That, that's the, the teaching, the instruction. This is what in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus is getting at in the Great Commission to go, go uh, baptize Go baptize, go proclaim the gospel so people be baptized and then teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. It's by shaping a life around the word of God is to make disciples, to teach, to instruct. The source document is the word of God. Like it's, it's saturated with God's word. We, we are people of the book. Now, here's where, here's where I think discipleship starts snowballing and it gets more and more and more glorious. Because even though we have received God's grace and forgiveness, the spirit of God is living inside of us right now because of what Christ has done on the cross for us to pay for our sins, that we would call righteous in God's eyes. Though we have the spirit and, and the spirit compels us to righteousness, we cannot live the perfect Christian life. You can't do it. Only Jesus can live the perfect Christian life. So, so even then, our flesh, the spirit is at war within us. And, our, and even having the instruction of what we should do, we oftentimes fail to do it. And that's one of the reasons why when we gather together as the church, we are confessing our sins to the Father together. We've all missed the mark. We've all failed to live the Christian life perfectly this week. And so what this shows us is, is we never graduate from the gospel. There never becomes a point in your life where the good news of the gospel becomes less of good news. It only becomes more and more and more because as you grow as a disciple of Christ, what you realize is that my sin, it's not that I keep sinning more and more and more, but I have this profound re re uh, realization of the holiness of God and seeing God's holiness, I see my sinfulness to an even greater extent. So I have a, a deeper awareness of my sin, and as I see my sin grow, or my awareness of, of sin grows, 
the awareness of the cross, of what Christ has done, magnifies all the more. So we never graduate from the gospel. There's always, in discipleship, there's always this pattern of proclamation and instruction. Failure, proclamation, and instruction. And that's God's grace to us. So, so we, as disciple makers, we, we're always in need of, of the gospel. There's never a point where we don't need it. And that's also true for the people that we're discipling. And so discipleship really is reminding people constantly of the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. And it's an oscillation between the indicative, which is the kerygma, the proclamation, here's what God has done, and here's how we respond, the imperatives. And this is what it looks like to, to live the life of a learner, right? Going back and forth, what God has done, how then shall I live? I failed, look what God did. And it just keeps going and God continues growing us. And the same for those who are discipling. So relationship, instruction, and the third element of discipleship is spiritual strength. Paul says in verse one, you then, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In order to make disciples, you need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You need spiritual strength. You need gospel grit. Because discipling, doing your own discipleship in your own power is already impossible. And then you try to disciple others in your own power, it's impossible. I was like, we need Jesus' power to go to Walmart, right? Let alone to make disciples of other people. Like this task that Jesus has put before us is impossible to do in our own strength. It is a supernatural work that requires a supernatural strength. Just think of that. To disciple others requires a supernatural amount of patience. Requires a supernatural amount of wisdom. Requires a supernatural amount of compassion, of courage, of tenderness. Paul says to Timothy, be strengthened by grace. Be strengthened by grace. Grace, grace is God's power in the midst of our weakness. Grace is God's sufficiency in the midst of our inadequacy. See, it's, it's in my own, it's in my own Depletion. It's in my own absence that God then pours out grace upon grace upon grace that, that fills me up and gives me a supernatural, a spiritual strength that I can actually step forth into things that God has called me to do. And it's important for us to see that God's grace, God's grace is not in short supply. God's grace is heaping up, flowing over. Like there's so much grace, you don't even know how to fathom it. And God supplies, what, what he calls us to do, God supplies. Now, here, the cross, the cross puts 
on display for us the nature of God's grace. At the cross, Jesus is bearing our sin, our shame, our weakness, our inability to trust God, to follow God, to obey God. And in that moment, God's grace meets that. Christ pays the price for our sins. God forgives us in Christ, but then with his resurrection, he raises us to new life in him. Now, what this should do when you see the cross, when you see God's grace at the cross, this should produce in us a deep joy and gladness because in Christ we have received that which we cannot obtain by ourselves. Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if that joy is meant to produce or if that, that grace is meant to produce joy, it makes sense why, why Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That, that grace gives way to joy, that joy gives way to strength. And our joy, Christian joy, is not just a flash in the pan. It's not just this thing that's here for a moment and then gone the next. It is a long, sustained joy because it is sustained by Christian hope. It's sustained by the reality that, that for us in Christ, there is an incredibly bright future. Though we're surrounded by hopelessness, though, though there are a lot of darkness to push back, the hope of the gospel keeps us afloat. It keeps us buoyant as the waves of doubt and difficulty come our way. And so when the Apostle Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, I, I not only think that that's a command for Timothy, that him to find that joy in the gospel, to find the hope in the gospel, the strength that he needs, the, the, the joy of the Lord to strengthen him in his ministry work. But I also think that that is what drives discipleship. I think it's infectious. I think being a joyful person is infectious. And this is one of the things that sets Christians apart from the darkness of the world. We ought to be the most joyful people on the planet. We ought to be the most optimistic people on the planet. Not, not optimistic in a way where, where we deny reality and the difficulty of things, but optimistic in the sense that Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. And because Jesus is ruling and reigning right now, the darkness discipleship is about fostering hope, joy, and faithfulness in the lives of others. If you want to cultivate someone that lives a really potent life for Jesus, what we should be aiming for is their joy. Helping them fight for joy. Helping them see the joy of Christ to follow him, to be his. Now, if, if, you're not, if you're not making disciples, it might be that your own joy, that your own hope is being suppressed. And if that's the case, brothers and sisters, I wanna encourage you right now to fight for joy. Step into some sort of a relationship where others can help you fight for joy and find the strength that you need in Christ. 
to, to remember the gospel and what Jesus has done for you and see that Jesus is still at work today in you and through you. And as you tap into that joy, as you tap into the hope of a gospel, as you tap into the, the strength that the Lord provides, people are drawn to that. People want that. People want to learn how to live like that. Jesus has laid out quite the task for us. He's put a big, a big project in our laps, but he has not left us to ourselves. Because Jesus first loved us, we too can love God and neighbor. We can step into Christian relationships where we're affectionately desirous of one another. Because Jesus supplies us with his wisdom in his word, we, we, we have confidence now to help people build their life on Christ, not the best practices of the day. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength, we can now press on, fighting for joy and instilling hope in others. And, and you know what this does? Like, if, if we're people, if we're joyful people, and we're helping other people tap into the joy of Christ, you know what that does for you? it stokes your joy even more. It's hard to be gloomy when you see the Lord working in other people's lives and, and you get to play a part in that. The Lord calls us to go and make disciples. This is not a chore, but this is a, a joyful work that we're called into. And only deep gospel joy can sustain the work of cultivating others. So regardless if you're crushing it right now, and you, you know, you're like, I've got like 10 people I'm discipling, like, cool. Two more, and you're like, essentially Jesus, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're crushing it, and praise God, because it's not your strength, it's not you who's doing it, it's the Lord who's working through you. And maybe you're thinking, man, there's definitely room for improvement here. There's a place for me. I can think of a person that I know desperately needs joy, desperately needs some kind of hope. It might be the Lord putting that person on your heart. So like today, you say, I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to fight for my own joy and help that person fight for joy in Christ. And I pray that, that the Lord takes that takes our, our meager little offering, our effort, and God multiplies that and he turns us into a church where we're helping one another grow, that we're taking big steps in discipleship. And, and not just that we're like, you know, it's not like we're leveling up or something where we're trying to get a, a gold badge at the end of this whole thing. Really, the reward is joy. The reward is joy that our hearts would be content in Christ and we can help others find the joy that they're looking for is really in Christ. Let's pray. We thank you that you are the source of all joy. That, that if we want to become more happy people, joyful people, more exuberant people, the place where we need to flee to is you. And Lord, you have opened up a way to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. In our, own, in our own flesh, we are unable to approach you, but because of, of what this meal represents, that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed so that we would be washed of our sins, that we would be counted righteous in your eyes, that we'd be filled with your spirit. Now we have confidence to draw near to your throne. 
And as we draw near, Lord, would, would you help us? Would you give us a heart that longs to see others drawn near alongside of us? Help us to become more faithful disciples and disciple makers, Lord. Would, would you help us to see, like, like the Apostle Paul did, four generations down the line, that we would give ourselves to this work and you would bless the work of our hands, that you would establish it and multiply it, that we would see the kingdom of God advance mightily here in the city of Moline and beyond. We pray this, Lord, for your glory and for the joy of all people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.